Yes, God, we invite you to come and to touch our hearts, touch our lives, to have your way in us. Lord, I pray that there would just be a, a wonderful revelation today of, of who you are, that we would see you in ways that we haven't seen you before, that there would be truths about who you are and what you've done that would deeply impact our hearts and minds this morning in such a way that we leave here thinking about those things and those things impacting the way that we think about uh, life and the world around us and the relationships that we have. And in all those ways, God, would you be glorified? Would you be honored today as we take your word and uh, apply it to our lives and uh, seek to have greater understanding into who you are and um, the, the calling that you have on our life? Or we worship you today. We love you, God, and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to church. So glad that you are here today. My name is Travis and just want to welcome you on this Palm Sunday as we celebrate the triumphal entry of Christ uh, as King. And uh, this, as uh, we've been saying, is the beginning of a, of a week that in the church uh, has great significance and importance. As we celebrate the resurrection of Christ year-round, uh, we also take this, this week and particularly next weekend uh, to, to really allow it to, to impact our, our thinking and to, to increase in our, our depth and understanding of the, the true meaning of the, the cross and the resurrection and the life that we have because of it. And so today is the day where we declare that he is Hosanna, the king uh, that is high and exalted. And uh, we, be, we begin with, with thinking about that, that day when, when, when Jesus came and he traveled down the road to Jerusalem and there was a, a crowd of people that, that, was, that was there to, to celebrate and to declare who he was. There was people in the crowd saying that, that he was the Messiah, so much so that there were religious leaders that were also in the crowd saying, Jesus rebuke your disciples for, for what they're saying. They're claiming that you are the Messiah. And he said, I cannot rebuke them if I do. If I keep them silent, the rocks themselves will cry out to declare the truth of what they are saying. And so he comes in uh, on, on this day uh, riding on a, on a donkey of, of all things to fulfill, fulfill the prophetic word that, you, that he would come in riding on the, 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 the foal of a donkey. And, and it should have been the first sign maybe for those gathered uh, along that road, that this king was going to be a little different than maybe what they had anticipated. In fact, it's, it's believed that there would have been many in the crowd along the road on that day that also formed the crowd a few days later that would be declaring, crucify him, crucify him. A pretty unbelievable turn of events in that a matter of a few days, uh, you, you would go from being hailed as King Messiah. It's called Palm Sunday because people came and laid palm branches before him and laid their cloaks before him uh, to honor uh, the honor that would be given to a king. And yet, a few short days later, when Jesus, who in fact is king, came uh, and and to give himself up 
was then declared by these same people, wait, you are an imposter. Maybe you aren't the king that we thought you were because their understanding of the Messiah, their understanding of who Jesus is and was, was different than who he actually was. And what he came to do was different than what they wanted him to do. They wanted him to be a, a, a Messiah, a king that would overthrow their oppressors so that they might experience freedom for the rest of their days on the earth so that they could practice their religious practices as they wanted, so that they would not be kind of the second rate in society uh, so that they, their, their people could experience that kind of freedom. And when Jesus didn't turn out to be the king that was going to overthrow their oppressors and establish an earthly rule, all of a sudden it was like, okay, well then you are no king at all. You need to be crucified. You, you, are, you, you, you misled us all the while. God had a much grander plan than any man or woman that was there could have imagined in that it wasn't that he was coming to just establish a kingdom that would, uh, for, for a, a people's lifetime or a few generations, to establish some kind of earthly rule, but rather he would establish a kingdom that would overthrow the oppressor that is the devil and overthrow the oppression of sin that had held humanity in slavery uh, for, for ages, that they might experience true freedom both here in this life and forevermore. A much grander picture than anyone on that road to Jerusalem could have ever imagined. And yet the lesson that we learn is this. There are times when we see Jesus in the way that we want to see him for who we want him to be at any given time. And when he doesn't become that, he doesn't kind of that fruition doesn't come into even a particular circumstance in our life. We're like, wait a second, are you really king? Like, cause this is who I wanted you to be. Or, or when Jesus doesn't answer prayer or do the thing that we wanted him to do or that we just knew that he would do. And we, in our short-sightedness, then can say like, are you really the one who came to save us? Are you really the one who reigns above all things? Because it doesn't seem like that to me. And so while we do want to celebrate today the fact that he is king because we could not be more right in doing so, we're gonna change it up a little bit on this Palm Sunday. We're gonna celebrate a little bit that he is king. We're also going to, to leave this morning on a, on a bit of a, a cliffhanger that will feel a little bit more like Good Friday in that, that I believe that God wants to, to bring and, and leave us with a challenge of who do you really believe that I am? And, and will you give me space to make a, re, a fresh revelation to you of who I am? All in the backdrop of the book of Revelation with uh, thinking of, of him coming again. 
And tying that back into this day where Jesus had his initial triumphal entry and knowing that full well that he will have another triumphal entry where he will no longer be on the foal of a little donkey uh, coming in, in humility in that way, but rather coming in grandeur and splendor and majesty. And so we wanna be prepared for that day. Okay, so bear with me as we kind of bring a mixture of those things today, okay? So um, last week, a few people gave me a hard time because we started a study in the book of Revelation, specifically into chapter five, and we never even turned to chapter five. Um, we, we just hung out in Revelation one. I just began to realize, wow, we need a little more time and context and understanding of the kind of literature, the kind of book that we're reading, the purpose behind it. Uh, we got to see just the, a picture of the, the, the glory of the resurrected Jesus who John was, uh, was writing of. And, and, and particularly we saw that what we have in the book of Revelation is, is John, the author's attempt uh, to write down what he saw. That's what Jesus asked him to do. I'm gonna give you this vision. I'm gonna give you this heavenly vision and, and open up the throne room of heaven to you. And I want you to write down what you see. And so the, the title of this sermon series is Living with the End in Sight. Our goal is that we would see what John wrote just like he tried to write what he saw so that we might be ushered into the heavenly realities that God is wanting to reveal to us, okay? And so I promise we're gonna to get to Revelation 5 today, but we are gonna begin in Revelation 4, okay? Because again... <laughs> There just is a little bit of thing we need to hit here because actually Revelation four and five are one kind of complete picture of the heavenly throne room that, that, that John at the beginning of Revelation four here says he, he, he walks into this door and, and into this throne room of God. And, and that's exactly how it begins in, in much of the same way that we begin in, ver, in chapter one where it says that, uh, that he heard someone speaking and then Jesus came and said, come up here, I will show you what must take place. So again, he's writing what he's seeing. We're going to read what he wrote so that we can see what he saw. So let that be our, our goal today. And I know it's a difficult thing, but we're about to be taken as best as the, the, the pen of, of man can do uh, to, to be taken into the, the throne room of heaven. And, and I, I want that to, to impact us. You know, so if there's moments where you need to, to close your eyes uh, and just to try to picture and, and go there with the text, do it. I won't think you're sleeping. And if you're sleepy, you got now, look, you got permission. Like, you'll, I'll just think you're, you're there in the, in the heavenlies, you know? Um, so this is, this is a good day to be sleepy. So, but, but you're just, we want to go, go there as much as we can because it's really going to impact where John goes in, in Revelation chapter five. And so the first thing actually that, that we notice, and I'm not gonna have the words here on the screen. If you have your Bible, feel free to turn there. I'm just gonna be hitting quickly off of some of these verses in chapter four, so they won't be on the screen until we get to chapter five. But it begins with, with him seeing a throne. He was taken to the spirit and there before me, he says, was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. 
this throne, the throne of God, God seated on his throne, becomes the central foundational reality of, of heaven and the throne room of heaven and uh, what happens uh, on the earth. And in the, these next two chapters of Revelation 4 and 5, the throne is mentioned 17 times. There's only 25 verses in the two chapters combined. And the throne is mentioned 17 times. There is something very uh, significant being communicated about the, the, the authority of God. And the, the firmness of his kingdom, his rule, his reign, that he is firmly seated on his throne. And that gives us great hope that regardless of how rampant it seems that evil might be on, on the earth, that God is seated on his throne and we can know that he is sovereign in and over all things, working for our good and for his glory. And so we sit under the peace and the rest of the fact that God is firmly established on his throne. All right, Justin Jenke, I saw you. This is gonna be terrifying because he didn't know. Justin Jenke, come up here real quick. He didn't know I was gonna do this. Uh, so his heart is probably beating through his chest. All right, I, I wasn't planning on doing this. So of course he didn't know I was gonna do this. So I saw Justin walking in this morning and I had this memory of uh, back about... 12, 11 years ago, 12 years ago, Justin was on our very first Antioch mission trip. Um, there, he was in college at, AS, at ASU representing this morning. Um, and uh, this mission trip was unique in that it was, there was just eight of us and it was all dudes. And, uh, and so we had a, we had a fun we had a fun trip, uh, and it was a, one a mission trip like none other that I've ever been on. Um, on. On one particular evening, we decided to play King of the Mountain in our hotel room, uh, and so uh, we, the, the mountain was one of the beds in the hotel room, and uh, once Justin got on the bed, uh, he was never dethroned, uh, and you know, I mean, you could... But I was, I'm a, especially back then, I was a little bit younger, a little bit more spry, and I uh, was a little bit more determined. I was like, no, this is, he can be, I, we can do this, you know? And, uh, and so I, I vividly remember taking a, a running start across the hotel room, because as he's firmly planted on, on this bed and different people are taking shots trying to get off of him, and I get as full ahead of steam as I can with the room that I have, and I just like run and like go and to just move him, and he doesn't budge. And, and I'm not kidding, for the next couple of months, my neck, I, I, had, I was like walking around like this. And so I haven't forgot what, what it's like for, for someone to be firmly established on the throne. So that's all I got for you. Thank you. Uh, like, like we, we could not, he could not be moved. And, and then, you know, we took, there's two or three of us going at it at once. He could not be moved. He was, he was king. <laughs> and there was no doubt left after that trip. Um, and, and so we, we get this picture of the throne of God and, and him being so firmly established, more than we can imagine, so much so that we can, we can find rest and refuge and peace and stability under the, the, the umbrella, the fact 
fact that he is king who is seated on the throne, which is why we all the days of our life wanna allow him to, to remain upon the throne of our own hearts and our own lives uh, and, and allowing that to bring us a peace and security that goes beyond anything else that we could ever find on this earth. And so we have him established. In fact, as we read on, everything else that we're going to see in the heavenly throne room is, is spoken of in, in relation to where it is in, the, in accordance with the throne of God. And it begins first by describing that there is one sitting on the throne and it says that the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. What we see here is John describing the, the majesty and the, the glory of God, one that has been seen even back into the Old Testament where you find different theophanies, which are uh, different times that God revealed himself to, to mankind and they, they would see him in his manifest glory. And so th this is, is a picture that we, we see in Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel 28, and Exodus 28, this description of God and these precious stones and, and this, this light coming from them. And it's just the, the, uh, both the attempt of man to describe the wonder and the glory and the majesty. And for the readers of, of John, and it's when, it, when this revelation was first given to the churches, would have been familiar with these, these theophanies, the ways that God revealed himself. And there would have been a building anticipation that God is coming again. He's establishing his throne. Uh, and, and there would have been this excitement and this hearkening back, like which is so important to do throughout the book of Revelation to, to find the context and the meaning that would have certainly been the case for the, these original readers uh, based on the, 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 the scriptures and their traditions and, and how they were would have known what John was speaking of. And so you see this beautiful picture of God being described through these precious stones, a rainbow encircling the throne uh, that is largely believed to be speaking of the mercy of God. That though he sits on a throne that's, that's a, as a righteous judge, he's encircled with this rainbow speaking of his, his mercy and his grace in, in the midst of being a judge. And so there, there is this, this picture of God on his throne. And then it, it describes these 24 elders that are encircling the throne. These elders that are wearing white robes and, and wearing crowns and seated on thrones of their own. Um, and th these are believed to be both uh, the, the 12 apostles that are representative of the new covenant believers and followers of Jesus, as well as uh, the, the 12, 12 representatives from the tribes of Israel that are representing those that were faithful to Yahweh. And they were they're these representatives that are worshiping God day and night, encircling his throne. And uh, we, we see that even in, in some of the, the, the letters that were written, which was in chapters two and three that we didn't go over. And some of these letters that they speak of the, the one who overcomes. And in verse three, in chapter two, verse 10, it says that they will receive the crown of life. And in uh, chapter three, verse five, it, it speaks of the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments. Very similar to the description of these 24 elders, which is why uh, it's believed that they are these representatives of those who have overcome. 
who have been faithful to Jesus. And now they're representing uh, you know, the, the multitudes by sitting around the throne of God, worshiping day and night. It also speaks of four living creatures. It's believed that these four living creatures are, are angelic beings. And uh, again, you can go back to places in the Old Testament where there's similar descriptions in Ezekiel 1 or Ezekiel 10. Uh, there's a, another description in the book of Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah has a picture of the throne room and there's these seraphs. It says each with six wings and uh, with two they were covering their face, with two they were covering their feet, with two they were flying and they were, they were saying the same thing that's being said here in Revelation 4. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And so there, there are these, these, this context that we find the, these angelic beings that are also thought to, to represent uh, even the, the creation of God. In the way that they are the described, uh, many people believe where, where the, uh, the, the 24 elders are representing the, the believers, uh, the, the faithful ones, that the, the, these, these um, angelic beings are representing even the creation of God that, that cries out and that groans for the return of Jesus. And, and so while it's, it's, there, there's a lot of interesting things that we can discover and go uh, much deeper than where I just took us, uh, the, the thing that we, and, and that could be exciting and fun and interesting, we, when you're reading Revelation, at the same time, you always want to, to zoom back out to see what, what overall are we, how are we supposed to be impacted by this? And so you can get into some of those specifics and there's different ideas of who the 24 elders are, what the, the four living creatures represent. But, but here's where we want to go this morning. And, and that is this, that we, what we see is these four living creatures day and night in this throne room where God is seated firmly on his throne. And there's a rainbow of light shining around them and, uh, and these, these, as, as, as an emerald and a jasper and ruby, there's just this, this beauty that's emanating from the throne of God. God himself in his power and authority and all that can be done is that these four living creatures, are, they, they never stop saying, it says, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then we're told that whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, then the 24 elders uh, fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. So you have this volley of worship and praise going on day and night where on one side of the room you have these angelic beings saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then you bounce to the other side of, our, of, the, of the room. Actually, they're all just encircled, but you get the picture. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive honor and glory and power and praise for you created all things and by your will, all things were created. And so we're taken up into this heavenly throne room and, and thinking about what would it be like to be there, to see what John saw. 
And our best attempt to do that is something like, I don't know, thinking about the most powerful worship moment that we've ever been in. I've, I've had a couple of moments where I feel like I've, the, the presence of God is so like weighty in the room that I can't even move. I just feel like, man, I can't even move. I don't wanna move. I don't wanna leave this place. And then, you know, multiply that by a thousand or 10,000 or whatever. Uh, the, just this moment of, of a holiness where he alone is worthy he, he, everything else fades away. There is no other concern. John is not worried about being exiled on the island of Patmos at this moment or where he's gonna get his next meal or if he's gonna be beaten the next day. No, he's just caught up in the holiness and the grandeur and the majesty of God in his throne room, seated on his throne. And we wanna see him rightly. And I think there is a, a revelation that he wants to give to us of who he is, God, in all his glory, in all his majesty, because it leads us then into the emotions that John begins to feel in chapter five, beginning in verse one. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And so now as he is looking at the throne, he realizes that the one seated on the throne is holding a scroll. It's got writing on both sides, it's full. And it's sealed with these seven seals. And remember that the number seven is used throughout the book of Revelation symbolically to, to speak of perfection or completeness or, or wholeness or finality. And so what you have here is this scroll that represents the plans and purposes of God. It is the covenantal promise of inheritance for the people of God finally finding its fullness and its completion coming in its finality. It is, it is the uh, redemption and judgment of God being explained for all time. And so we have this, you have this, this God seated on his throne in all of his majesty, in all of his glory, in all of his worthiness, and now the anticipation continues to build because there's a scroll. And on the scroll is, is redemption and judgment where evil will be once and for all done away with, where, where the redeemed of the Lord will be restored and built up and, and de defended. The, the, the culmination of his love and his sacrifice will come together with uh, the unfolding of his plans and purposes. Yes. Like, this is what we've been waiting for. God is coming. His plans are here. Let's open this baby up, right? Let's move into to this that we, we've been believing for. And so then there is a mighty angel. 
And what's funny is that, uh, and, and I almost feel it too, like it's just, oh yeah, okay, just mighty angel. Because, you know, any other time in scripture, people fall down in, 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 ter- in terror before angels. But now John's seen the risen Christ. And he's like, oh, it's an angel. This, this guy is kind of pales, you know, compares. Yeah, it's just mighty angel now. And there's no like response to that. It's just, it's nothing compared to Jesus. But he, he says in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. Okay, so crescendo, climax, drum roll, right? And, and, and John is like looking around the room for someone to, to stand up for any kind of movement, for a noise, for, for a voice, and it feels like forever. This is the moment that we've been waiting for. And there's deafening silence. And and, and this question is looming on the air of, of, wait a second, all all that I've lived for, all that's been building up, the the throne room of God, and he's so good and he's so majestic and his plans are right there. No one can open them? Like like surely there is is someone, right, that that can open the scroll It says that that there was a search in heaven or on earth or even under the earth. Who could open the scroll and look inside it? And as that question loomed in the stillness of those moments, grief, like deep-seated grief, began to well up in John. The the kind of grief that was like, wait, all... All my life, everything that I, that I thought, all the things that I put my hope and expectations into, all the things I've been dreaming for and, and, and planning, like all of it has now come to naught. Like that kind of aching grief and loss. And it says there in verse four, he says, I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And so there's this cliffhanger of a moment. And, and I, I want us, and this is where it's a little abnormal on this Palm Sunday, where it becomes and feels a little bit more like a Good Friday moment, but I want us to just sit in that a little bit where, where, where we just, we sit and we, we ponder even with, within ourselves, what kind of expectation, what kind of a longing do we have for the plans and purposes of God? Is there that kind of longing? Have we, have we lived for, for, for the, the sake of Jesus and, and the gospel to the degree that, man, if, it, that, that there's just this longing for it. And, when, and it feels like it's not happening. There's just like a, a grieving. It's hard to do at times knowing the end of the story, being able to read down to the next verse, which, by the way, we're saving for next week. But, but it's, it's hard to stay there sometimes. But I feel like it, th- there's something there for, for us to learn. 
There's something there that God wants to reveal to us. I wanna read a parable that Jesus shares out of Matthew 25. And in Matthew 24, Jesus is actually talking about the destruction of the temple, prophesying the destruction of the temple. He's talking about uh, the, the, the signs of the end of, of, of time. And uh, he's sharing some of these things with the disciples. He, in, in the end, says, hey, no, no one's going to know the, the, the day or the hour, uh, but the message is this, to be ready. And we're gonna read the, a story of the 10 virgins that, that speak of, of, of readiness. Also, there's a couple of others, parables that Jesus shares, the parable of the, of the talents, which reminds us to, to stay faithful, to stay in, engaged with the mission of God. And just, just after the parable of the talents is the parable of the sheep and goats, which urges us to care for the needs of others. To, to love those around us. But today we're gonna read um, Matthew 25, one through 13. It says this, at, the, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps the bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Jesus wanted his disciples to be ready, to, to be spiritually prepared, for, for the coming wait, that there, there, there would be a wait, but, there, but at the same time, there ought to be an anticipation. There ought to be a readiness in the way that we live our lives in anticipation that this king who we celebrate today is in fact coming again. And that we must be prepared on that day and not have just a notion of who we want him to be or what we think he's going to do, but as best we can to say, God, would you reveal to us who you are and what you are going to do that we might have a, an anticipation and a preparedness for all that you want to do. First uh, Thessalonians 4, 16, we read last week says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. He is returning again. And, and as, as Jesus shares this parable, he says at this time, at that time, in that return, this is what the kingdom of heaven will look like. There will be some who have prepared, some who are ready by giving their lives to Jesus and being faithful followers of his and some that will not. And so we wanna live with that kind of sober reality while we walk in the fullness of the joy of the kingdom and the, the, the pleasures that are his right hand, that we also have the maturity uh, to walk with this, the soberness of the fact that he's coming again 
and that there is a proper anticipation and preparation for that. And so as we think about that, particularly on Palm Sunday, we think about not only how he came, but how he's coming again. And not only how he came as king, but I've also heard him be described as the betrothed king. That, that he came uh, and he gave up his life that he might be betrothed to a bride. And that he is returning again for that bride. That he's gone away for a while, but he is returning again for his bride whom he gave up his life to be betrothed to. I think Paul really understood it in his, in, when he was planting churches and when he would lead these churches, he, he would talk to them about, uh, about Christ in this way in, in places like Ephesians 5 and talking about how Christ laid down, as the husband laid down his life for the church. And in 2 Corinthians 11 too, he says it this way to the church, I feel a divine jealousy for you for I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. I, I betrothed you, there's a betrothal here. I'm trying to show you the, the great bridegroom. I just wanna introduce you to him. And, and that's really the goal of every believer. That's, that's the goal of, of me as a pastor to just say, hey, here, look at the bridegroom. Too often, you know, we, we as the maybe groomsmen or bridesmaids in the room, we, we wanna jump out into the aisle and say like, hey, look at him. Isn't he awesome? Isn't he great? You're gonna love him. I can tell you, you're gonna love him. That would be so awkward, right? That would be so awkward. Like as much as, as they had a good heart and they did love him and they wanted to, that would be awkward because the, the bride only wants to see the groom in that moment. That's all that the bride needs to see. And so what we're doing in this, in this series, particularly is just like, let's look at the bridegroom. Let's look at him. He's coming again. Are we captivated by him? Do we see him? Do we know him for who he, who he really is? Do, do, we, do we know what he's come to do? Are we getting frustrated with what he's not doing? Are we getting frustrated with when he's not who we want him to be or doing the things we want him to do? to do. Revelation 19.7 will continue to pick up this theme. It says, so we're a little bit down the road, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage supper of the lamb has now come and his bride has made herself ready. And the bride has made herself ready. And so church, we are the bride. And so there's a question here for every one of us, God, what does it look like for me to get ready? How are you wanting to ready me? Where, where, where are the things in my heart, in my mind, in, in my life that need to be readied to be the bride, to, to, to be that spotless bride, that pure bride that's presenting herself to the bridegroom? What does it look like? And so I wanna to give a, a challenge this week. As we lead into Good Friday, to, to allow yourself moments to really consider and to ponder 
that the the even those those emotions and feelings are like God, I want you to come. Like I like in in any ways that I don't. Why is it that I don't? Is there, what are the things that I'm misunderstanding? Or, or when I when I have these doubts, or or when I get frustrated with you not moving when you're. When, when I wanted you to move or doing it the way I wanted you to do it, Lord, would you just begin to reveal who you are and what your plans are? Because in the end, I don't want my plans anyway. And I think there's a place of just kind of in, in that, it, it, as we even have some of these devotions throughout this week and just different times with God that, um, that we would allow ourselves to go there. Jesus was asked, um, why, why do John the Baptist's disciples and even the Pharisees' disciples, why do they fast more than your disciples? Your disciples don't fast at all. And he's like, well, he, he says, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot. So as long as they have him with them, they cannot fast. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and on that day, they will fast. That, that fasting is like this, this um, it's, a, it's a mourning. It's, there's this mourning of this longing of expectation. It, 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 fasting practically is, a, is us taking advantage of, of, of doing without something uh, that we're, and we become very aware of, of the need for that food. And yet we, 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 we allow that to be translated to be like, but my need for God is even greater. That the hunger that we feel causes us to, to actually hunger for him. The anticipation to eat something causes us to have like, okay, I want my anticipation to be in the things of heaven and the things of, of eternity. And so I actually wanna give us a challenge uh, to find a time this week. And maybe particularly what I was thinking is maybe on, on Good Friday uh, that we would fast. Um, it's not a very long fast. Maybe we can, you could break that fast after Good Friday at the service or what have you, but just that, that there would be something that we would do in, 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 um, to demonstrate that, man, there is a longing for the bridegroom to come. He's not here in, in the fullness. We get to experience his peace and his presence and his joy. And, and we, 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 we love that. And yet we also realize there's more. There's more to come. And so I just wanna encourage you, even as for your families in the room, some things we've done with our own kids is they'll fast from sweets or, or snacks. Like, you know, they can't get a snack, they feel it, you know? They're like, like oh, no snacks. You know, so like, yeah, but let, let, the same way you're longing for those fruit gummies, you know, like long for Jesus. Like, but just it, it, entering into that, you know, as a, as a family, like, like staying there, um, because, you know, it, it really is unique. And Good Friday is certainly a unique service for us where we're walking out like, oh, man, and trying to feel that, but letting that only fuel the joy and the rejoicing that comes on, on the resurrection morning. And, and so uh, let me just pray for us that, that even today we would allow God to do some of that kind of heart work within us. God, you are so good. You are so faithful. 
And we recognize, affirm, and acknowledge in every way today that you are seated on your throne. And that rule and reign has been firmly established. My prayer today, God, is that we, in this time of response, would be ushered into that throne room to see you for who you are and your glory and your majesty, the one who is worthy of all praise and glory and honor. And that in that place, there would be a revelation, a fresh revelation of your character, of your power, a fresh uh, revelation that just hits, hits us down deep that, uh, of your plans and your purposes that are good and right that would cause the kind of longing that we see in John and as he weeps and weeps. From a place of longing for the plans of God to go forth. Lord, give us that kind of longing and let it come from the fresh revelation this morning of your glory, your majesty, your power, your supremacy, that you are the ruler of all things. We love you, God. Would you come and move in this place, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna invite you to stand with me. And in this time of response, I'm gonna invite our ministry team to come down to the front. We believe that this is a, an incredibly important time in our service. If there is anything that you're struggling with today, anything relationally or financially or physically, anything that's a burden to you, I wanna encourage you to come and receive prayer this morning. And we all need prayer. We, we, people getting in our boats, praying with us, believing uh, for, for us to experience breakthrough and healing. And, and so if there's anything that you need prayer for, I'd invite you to come forward today. As always, the, the front is, is open. And today we'll just say the, the throne room, it's open. You know, just, just come. If you need to come and uh, express just worship or uh, come and say, God, I wanna, I wanna experience a, a fresh revelation of who you are. It, today we wanna come and we wanna bow before him, whether that's physically here in the front or whether that's kind of just in our hearts, just this posture of bowing before him fronts open and available for you to come and just allow God to minister to you, to reveal himself to you as we worship him. And then finally, if there's anybody here that doesn't have a personal relationship with God and you're hearing about his glory and his majesty and there's something just stirring in you of wanting to know him, I want you to know that his arms are open wide today. And we would love to share with you how he's made a way to know him through his son, Jesus. We're gonna be talking about a lot more next week. But we'd love to talk with you and pray with you today. You respond in that way. But I wanna just encourage everyone before leaving this place to respond to God as he so leads.